So first, I'm just going to mention the title to you. Um, Self-sufficiency, colon, a rejection of God's daily bread. And I'm going to tell you today why we have all rejected God's daily bread in our lives. So, be encouraged. (laughs) Join with me in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for today. We thank you that uh, each week in your providence, you gave us a day, a Sabbath day, a, a day of rest, a Lord's day, a day to reflect on you and focus on you solely. To be, to come to your, to your streams of life, Lord, to rest, to eat bread and, and to share fellowship Lord, I pray that today would be a first fruit of, of a, an attitude of seeking you throughout the week. But just as you say in Lamentations, Lord, that you, your mercies are new every day. And that we would know that. And we would seek those mercies every day, Lord. That we would ask you for those mercies daily. And that we would recognize those mercies daily, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your church. Let us be honoring to you today, Lord, and and learn how to be a praying people, a people who seek you, God. A humble people, Lord. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 So first things first, um, I'm going to give a plug to Stephen's message Wednesday, all right? Um, I was sitting there Wednesday and hearing him talk, and I was like, wow, uh, he stole my ideas for preaching Sunday, so now I have to figure out a new sermon. <laughs> no, I was, I was like, uh, it's different enough, but it does go closely together. And if you listen to his, it'll give you, it'll complement this sermon really well. And it would do you well to go watch the video, okay? So I checked the other day. The video has, I know how many views it has, let's just say that. And it's not many. So I know a lot of us haven't watched it. And uh, when I check again, I'll know how many have listened and, and listened to my warning <laughs> or advice, counsel, whatever you want to call it, uh, but I'll know. So his message was talking about um, one of the main points he talked about was in reference to 1 Corinthians 10 and how... God providentially gave his people while they were wandering in the, in, in the wilderness a rock that gave them water, and it says it followed them. Which means that God in his providence, you know, it, it's saying in 1 Corinthians 10 that, um, that Christ is the rock. And so what is the water? If you use your hermeneutics and see where other times things have been referenced as water. It's the Holy Spirit. And it's being poured out on his people daily, and it's for all of his people. And that's kind of what 
the gist of his message was, but I can't do it justice. Stephen really brought out points that I'd never even thought of, and uh, it was so fruitful. And if you're missing Wednesdays, I'd really encourage you to turn, like, shape your life around being there. And, uh, and if you're not going to be there, watch the videos, because it's going to really add to add to how you interact with our congregation because it's very topical and, and you know, it's a part of the liturgy that we follow as a church. So whenever you hear scripture read on Sunday, it's Stephen talks about it on Wednesday. And it, it'll help you get in on the flow that the church is on, you know. So that's enough about that. You go watch that video and I'll check in a week or so to see how many of you did. <laughs> um, we'll get into the outline right now. So the first point we're going to talk about today is the phrase, give us our daily bread. Right? Then we're going to go into what is our daily bread, because I think that's something we a lot of times don't even know. You know, we, we may know one aspect of it, but like Greg says about grace is like, you can know one part of it, but it's not the whole picture, right? It's like the analogy, like, I can know that Christiana's wearing a blue cardigan right now, but uh, is that all about Christiana? Does that sum up Christiana? No. There's a lot more about Christiana. So you can know about what our daily bread is and know, like, one aspect of it, but it mean, you can still be missing so much of it. And I'm going to make that argument today. Mainly that the spiritual and the physical aspects of it, and ultimately how it's God's provision. Next, we're going to talk about eternity in the present and uh, work through that. We're going to talk about God versus man and where God meets man. We're going to talk about self sufficiency and how it is, like the sermon title will suggest, a rejection of God's daily bread, and how we all have a self-sufficient spirit about us way too often. So hopefully we'll rec- I'll help you guys recognize what that looks like, and uh, hopefully we'll be broken and contrite about it, and repent, confess and repent of our self-sufficiency and individualism. And then I'm going to show you how the patriarchs were what happened to them when they tried to be self-sufficient. So if you believe that uh, you can't do it, I'll show you how even David, a righteous man, at times became self-sufficient. And hopefully, if you think you're better than David, uh, (laughs) maybe you should just not listen to this message. (laughs) All right. So first, turn with me to Exodus 16. I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. Exodus 16. Then they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, 
On the fifteenth day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So first of all, they make two mentions. They're like, well, we had meat and bread. And we had not all we could ever want. Right? And then they make an accusation that they brought them out to kill them. Out of Egypt to kill them. Is that true? Is that what Moses did not, Moses and Aaron did not bring out the Israelites into the wilderness to kill them, did he? And the Israelites should know that, right? If God wanted to kill them, he would have just let them die at the hand of the Egyptians. If God wanted them to die, he would have let the waters come crashing down on them as well as the Egyptians. If God wanted them dead, they would have been dead. (laughs) Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. How good is God that he didn't say like all these people who grumble against me, I'm going to make them suffer for that. I'm going to make them really hungry. You ain't seen hungry yet. That's not what God said. He said, I'll give you hunger. I'll give you food. But he wasn't doing it just like how a parent might, you know, cave to a kid's, like, whining just to get him to stop whining. He did it to teach him a lesson, and we'll see that. He said, that I may test them, and the people, or whether or not they will seek me in my instruction. So he's saying that he's going to rain bread from heaven, and they can go out and gather it, And that this is going to be a test, whether they'll walk in his instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, so now here's his instruction. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all of the sons of Israel, At the evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumbling against the Lord. And what are we that you grumble against us? Moses said, This will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, that's the meat pot, and bread to the full in the morning. They're filled with bread. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. That that's, uh, would... That prevents me from ever really thinking I can bring a, a real good accusation against my brother or sister in Christ. Right? You know, if they're sinning, you know, if you're trying to grumble, 
Just think about it. You're grumbling to God. Why are you complaining? Who are you complaining to, really? Your spouse? Your brother or sister? Your politicians? Or are you grumbling towards God? Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your, your grumblings. It came about as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know, you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the morning. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is this? For they did not know what it was. God told them what it was going to be. <laughs> and Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. Duh. <laughs> He just told you he was going to give you bread. What did you expect? Scorpions? Stones? He told you he'd give you bread, and that's what he, he gave them. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so, and get this, some gathered much more and some little. When they measured it up with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. Moses said to them, let no man leave any of it until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. So here's the test. He gave them instruction, don't leave any till tomorrow. Do you guys think they passed the test? No, they didn't. <laughs> they said, but they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until the morning. And it bred worms and became foul, and Moses was angry with them. They gathered it morning by morning. This is part two. Every man as much as he should eat. But when the sun grew hot, it would melt. Now on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. When all of the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, then he said to them, This is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over put aside to, keep, to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning. Seems like they're listening. As Moses has, had ordered, and it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. Moses said, eat today, for tomorrow is the Sabbath of the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Okay, pretty clear. You're not going to find it in the field tomorrow. So what'd they do? 
Six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day the Sabbath there will be none. And it came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather. He just told them, don't do that. You have enough for tomorrow. And guess what? They didn't find anything, but they found none. Duh. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? I, I imagine God at this point being like, I've given you grace after grace after grace and like, like chance after chance after chance and like still with this? It's like a parent on the sixth or seventh time of asking their kid to clean up their room. You know? It's like, still with this? You asked for, for bread and I gave you bread. And when I told you I'd give you bread, you didn't even expect it. And when I told you you'd spoil in the evening, you didn't expect it. See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in this place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Still his like indignation wasn't poured out on them. It's incredible how much grace God has for us. But how incredible is our lack of faith in God? When time and time again, he gives us bread and we reject it. Because we don't want to listen to his rules, his instruction. So this, a part of this sermon was sparked by, I've been, I just read through C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. And if you've never read them, there's spoiler alerts ahead. Um, it's a pretty old book. You should have read it by now. <laughs> I read it. So, <laughs> um, the background of this is that Screwtape is a, a demon, and he's writing letters to his demon nephew, Wormwood. And so, when you hear everything, you're hearing it from the perspective of a demon, okay? So, what is good is bad, and what is bad is good to them, right? So, read it in that context. The enemy they speak of in this book is, is God, because God is their enemy, okay? So this is a quote from that. The most alarming thing in your last account of the patient, that's his person that he's been designated to oppress. So imagine you have your own screw tape in Wormwood. And you're their patient. And it's their job to fix you good. In your last account of the patient is that he is making none of those confident resolutions. So this is alarming to them. They're saying this is a bad thing, and this is from the perspective of a demon, okay? It's alarming. They're not making those confident resolutions which mar marked his original conversion. No more lavish promises of perpetual virtue, I gather, not even the expectation of an endowment of grace for life, but only a hope for the daily and hourly penance to meet the daily 
and hourly temptation. And then he says, this is very bad. So a lot of us as young Christians, and I think uh, because of the culture we grew up in, a lot of people remain baby Christians until they die. A lot of us make these grandiose, he says, lavish promises of perpetual virtue. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do good next time. I sin this time, but trust me, like, I'm not going to sin next time. I've got this, you know. I've kicked the anger. I've kicked the pornography. I've kicked the lying and stealing and cheating. I'm no longer going to steal any cars, God. Trust me. I will be perpetually virtuous. And this is a wild thing because this, is, this hit me, cut me right to the heart. Because this is something I do all the time. Is an expectation, an expectation of an endowment of grace for life. You know, we pray one prayer like, God help me, like, I need the grace to live the rest of my life for you. That seems like a good thing, right? But I'll show you how that leads to self-sufficiency. But he's saying it's a good thing, like, this patient is not thinking about just his life. He's thinking about today and this hour. He's in the present. Because that's where temptation is. We're not fighting in the future or in the past. We're fighting in the present. And so this cut me to the heart. And if we had this kind of attitude, the demons would be saying that it's very bad for them. So, what is our daily bread? I've convinced you, hopefully, that you need daily bread. If you need more convincing, it's in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread, right? What's that mean? So it's, it's two things. It's both spiritual and physical. Um, these are specific things that uh, Scripture calls bread. Christ says he's the bread of life, right? But not only is like Christ the God or Christ God the bread of life, Christ the man was the incarnate version of that. God didn't just give us Christ incarnate a man. He gave us Christ his son who is God. He gave us both aspects, both spiritual and physical he provided for us. He gave us the word, which is, is uh, Christ incarnate is the word. And he said, that's the bread of life, right? He gave us the word eternal, and he gave, the, gave us the word incarnate, which is Christ, but also your, your Bible in front of you. But ultimately, the things that, the point I want to get across here about the daily bread is that it's every provision of God, okay? It's not just like a lot of people will read it and they're like, Lord, give me my daily bread. 
so that I don't go physically hungry, right? Like I need, they take it literally, like my daily bread, you know, with all of its, its gluten and carbs. Give me my daily bread. I know some of us really like bread. But he does provide for that. It's not like he doesn't give us our daily bread or our physical food. He gives that to us. But he also gives us our daily bread as in like, you can come to my word daily and I will feed you. You can recall the gospel and what Christ did for you daily and I will feed you. So God has provided for all of our needs. If you think there is like one need that he hasn't met yet, you're wrong. And you're not getting this point. This point is saying that he's... That boss that you don't really like, he provided you that boss. And that's his provision. He provided for your school. He provided you your spouse. If you're here thinking like, maybe, you know, I messed it up somehow. Or like, maybe... Uh, you know, my spouse isn't that great or something. It's like, well, that's, your spouse is a gift from God. Your friends are a gift from God. The sun rising today was a gift from God. The food we're going to eat after this service is the gift from God. The pews that you're sitting in are a gift from God. The parents you were given whether good or bad or definitely somewhere in between, people of evil hearts, which we all have, sinful people, they were a provision from God in your life because without them, you would not be sitting here right now. I guarantee you, any of us had different parents, we wouldn't be here right now. So that's our daily bread, is God's daily provision. So this is a, uh, next we're going to talk about eternity in the present. And you guys know how much I like diagrams. Hopefully this one's not too confusing. Uh, so this isn't, when, when you look at the circle up here, it's not like a circle like things keep repeating themselves. It's a circle in the sense of how a ring uh, represents eternity. Um, there's no beginning and no end. That's the important point to get here. There's not like an arrow going in a circle. It's not like reduce, reuse, recycle, right? This isn't like, <laughs> you know, you've you got to get outside of your head of like thinking temporally to get this idea. This is eternity. There's no beginning and no end. And this is where God lives in eternity, okay? So then the line you see with the arrows, see now the arrows come in, Right? This is time, our timeline, okay? Now you see if you go, I guess if it's up there for you guys, you go this way into the past, or you can go this way into the future, but right at that red X, that's the present. That's where we live, right? So what this is up here, where the circle meets the line, and in uh, mathematical terms, we call this a tangent, which is saying that a line, when a line meets a circle, 
it can only touch in one spot, one point. We're not even talking about like, like this isn't, time doesn't meet eternity in one second or half a second or a quarter of a second. It's not even, it doesn't meet, eternity doesn't meet time in some unit of time. It meets it in a moment, okay? It meets it at one point. And that's the present. That's where we live. So we're, we're bound to time, and God's bound in eternity. And that's how he, he's viewing us from eternity, okay? And he's coming to us in the present. And I'll explain that a little bit. So, we're super behind. Okay, so the, I'm going to add here for past, present, and future. Um, we're going to go to the end of Matthew 6, 20, well, yeah, 6, 34. Um, and I'm just going to add this. It says at the end of this, you know, it, Matthew 6 is going through all of God's providences, how he clothes the flower and he gives a home for the bird and, and all this stuff. And he says, like, don't worry about tomorrow because I'm going to provide for you And he says this, each day has enough trouble of its own. So tomorrow has enough trouble for its own. You already got through yesterday, and you know that had enough trouble of its own. Probably so much trouble that you carried some of it with you. But now that trouble is no longer yesterday's, it's today's. And you got to think of it that way. You can read Luke 12 on your own sometime. But that's a message or parable of, of a man who builds bigger barns for himself so that he'd be secure in the future. And he sits there and he's like, well, I did it. I'm secure for tomorrow. And then he dies. Because tomorrow's tomorrow. We, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So there, I have any of you seen Kung Fu Panda? <laughs> So I use this quote all the time. It's like super deep, right? Um, so there's this kung fu turtle guy. It's not, he's not a mutant ninja turtle. And he's definitely not a teenager. He's pretty old. Um, wise old tortoise guy. And he says this. He says, Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. But today is a gift. That's why it's called the present. <laughs> right? It's clever, right? But that's how God looks at it. So I'm going to read another screw tape letters quote, and this one's actually longer, um, because this this book hit so many good points. And you guys, like, I, we'll just read the quote. So this is CS, or this is screw tape, right? The demon saying about the Christian. The humans live in time, but our enemy destines them to eternity. That's uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity in the hearts of man. And if you don't think that's true, see how hard everyone tries to last forever. You want to know what fame and glory is? It's an attempt to live forever. You want to know what riches are? 
Storing up riches is an attempt to live forever. Having lots of kids for the wrong reasons can be an attempt to live forever through your children. We're all grabbing for eternity because God's inherently put it in us, whether you're a Christian or not. God has destined us for eternity. So it says, humans live in time, but our enemy destines them to eternity. He therefore, I believe, wants them to attend chiefly to two things, to eternity itself and to that point of time which they call the present. For the present is the point at which time touches eternity. That's the tangent. That's the one point. You guys want to see the diagram again? That's where the X is. Of the present moment and of it only, humans have an experience analogous to the experience which our enemy has of reality as a whole. In it, alone freedom and actuality are offered to them. He would therefore have them continually concerned either with eternity, which means being concerned with him, or with the present, either meditating on their eternal union with or separation from himself, that is God, or even else obeying the present voice of conscience, bearing the present cross, receiving the present grace, giving thanks for the present pleasure. Our business, that's the demonic business, is to get them away from the eternal and from the present, with this in view, we sometimes tempt a human to live in the past, but this, is, this itself is of limited value, for they have some real knowledge of the past, and, ha- and it, has, or it has a determinate nature. That means it, it's finished. You know what happened. For they have some, or to that extent, and it resembles eternity because it has reality. It has a touch point. It's like it happened. We know it happened. So there's a little sense of eternity there. Right? It is far better to make them live in the future. He's saying that's the best way to get them off of track, off the track. To get them not thinking about the enemy, which is the enemy of demons is God, right? Biological necessity makes all their passions point in that direction already. So that thought about the future inflames hope and fear. Also, it is unknown to them. You know, it's a mystery. So that in making them think about it, we make them think of unrealities. In a word, the future of all things, the thing least like eternity. It is the most completely temporal part of time, for the past is frozen and no longer flows, and the present is all lit up with eternal rays. So some of those passions, I guess you could talk about. He goes on to talk about man's temptation into sexual sin. We're always thinking about, you know, what it could be. He's talking about greed. We have... We have that tendency in us, our internal passions, to want to be in the future because it's unknown. It could be really bad. 
which leads us to fear. It could be really good, which leads us to like sinful hope and lust. But we know where we are when we're in the present. We're in God's arms and he's providing for us currently. And we can trust that he'll provide us for tomorrow, whether good or bad. It's not, that is where the mystery of the future becomes unclouded and clear. We may not know what the future holds. Maybe martyrdom. Who knows? Maybe, maybe a new job. Maybe you lose a job. Maybe you get cancer. Maybe you get healed from blindness. I, who knows what the future holds? But we know that God's going to provide for us in that moment. Because he's providing for us now. And he provided for us in the past. And he's eternal. He's looking down. He sees the future and the past and the present all at once. And he's saying, here's your present need and I'm going to meet it. So if you want to understand God's relationship to man, um, Isaiah 46, 9 through 10 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other God. Or there is no other, I am God. And there is none like me, declaring the end, from, the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. God is the one who set the beginning from the end. He put us into time. He's Lord over time. He's not subject to it like we are. So when you pray today, you're just praying to God and he's seeing it in eternity and he's hearing your prayers for the future and the past, right? So we need to be focused with the present. We don't need to be caught up with the future like those young Christians who, were, who Screwtape was talking about who pray these audacious prayers of like, Lord, I need grace for life. No, you need grace for today. That's what you're concerned with. First Peter 1, 24 and 25, which is uh, a quote from Isaiah 46, says... For chapter 40, verse 6 says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So that's what God is like compared to what man is like. So I'm going to talk about self-sufficiency. Earlier I mentioned how we sometimes confuse what the bread looks like or what it is. So pietisms when you think that the bread is merely spiritual. Um, so when you think something's merely spiritual, you're saying, God, you're God over the spiritual things, but the physical things, is, I'm God over the physical things. I'm in charge of where I'm getting my bread from today, where I'm getting my food from today. I'm in charge of where I live I'm in charge of what church I go to. I'm in charge of, you know, who I marry, what jobs I take, what cars I buy or don't buy. That's what pietism says. So if, inherently, if you think something's all spiritual, you begin to think you're God over the physical because 
If God's not God over the physical, who is? You are. And then you start down this, this hill and you begin to make up rules for yourself concerning the physical. You know, it's evil to drink, I declare. <laughs> or, you know, uh, have any of you seen Footloose? Dancing's evil. <laughs> Don't do it. It's not spiritual. But God is concerned with the physical just as much he is as he is with the spiritual. And vice versa. If you guys are all here thinking like it's all just about the physical, about like having your finances in order and you know this and that, but then you're not yielding to the Holy Spirit when he's knocking on your door, that is just as evil as pietism and just as prideful. If the Spirit's laid on your heart to go pray for someone and you don't do it, you're saying, I'm God over my spiritual life. And if someone comes to you and gives you a word from the Lord and you don't at least consider it in the context of God's word, then you're saying, I'm Lord over the spiritual. If you're saying, you know, speaking in tongues isn't real just because I haven't experienced it, then you're saying, I'm Lord over the spiritual. And it's pride. And so what the... It's... And then that comes from this radical individualism we have in our culture. This idea that we've got it. We can take care of ourselves. And these things always lead to performance-based thinking. You're always going to try and make up rules and meet them yourself. And when you, when you make a plan for the future that you're going to be perpetually virtuous and then you fail, you're going to say to yourself, I'm, I failed. God, you didn't give me grace for this or something like that. Something ridiculous like that. That's what you're going to say. But the truth is, is God has new grace for you that day. His mercies are new every morning. In, uh, in the past when families met for family worship, they met in the morning and in the evening. And in the morning, they ask God for grace that day. And in the evening, they repented and they thanked God for his grace for the day. And then they moved on to the next day. They didn't live in it. If this is the way you do devotions, you know, thinking about the past and the future, you'll come to one day and be like, oh man, I've, I missed three days in a row. If I catch up, this is going to take me four hours to catch up with my devotions. Or if I just do enough devotions today, then I won't have to do them tomorrow. Or I'll have enough grace for tomorrow or something. Both of those are folly. Both of those are performance-based thinking. If you miss a day, you miss that day. Now today's a new day and you need new grace from the Lord. Don't be caught up in the past or in the future when God's trying to talk to you now. The point of all this, what I'm trying to say is that you need to pray daily. And pray for the day. Because if you don't pray for the day, you think somehow 
that the future is in your hands. That's the point I'm trying to get across. Is that when you pray, Lord, give me the grace for tomorrow, or give me the grace for the rest of my life, or I promise I'll be good for the rest of my life, you immediately start trying to be, apprehend that grace yourself. You immediately become prideful because I prayed yesterday, so today's up to me. Today's in my hands, it's not in God's because I prayed yesterday for him to take care of today. So whatever happens, it's, it's up to me. But the truth is we need, we need those mercies that he gives us new every day. We need them. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Why are you so concerned about the future when your present is in shambles? Why be concerned of your future state with the Lord when you're presently not depending on Him? That's, that's the point I'm trying to make. And we all fall into this. Adam had faith for the Lord every day up to a point. Said he said he met regularly with Him in the dew of the morning, right? He saw, it. He, was with, he was communing with God every day. And then one day, he's like, I've got it. I know better than what the Lord has for me today. I'm not going to seek him today because I've got today. And he fell into sin. And because of him, all of us were cursed. Abraham, the man God called righteous, had faith so many times, and then one day he said, well, he hasn't given me a son yet. And so Ishmael was born. A product of radical self-sufficient pride. When you try and correct God or help God out. Moses, um, this is Numbers 20, it speaks of him coming around to this rock that he, he, you know, he struck, that God gave them the water. They're coming back around to it the second time, and the people begin grumbling again. <laughs> Give us water. We're, you know, we're thirsty. We're dying of thirst. Like, uh, we've been in the wilderness for like so many years, and yet tomorrow's the day we'll die. <laughs> you know, they're concerned with tomorrow. And Moses gets so frustrated with them, God tells him to speak to the water, or speak to the rock, and the water will come forth. And he, he's like, I'm, and he hits it again. He doesn't do what God says, because he's like, I'll, I'll bring your judgment on these people. He calls, them, calls the, the Israelites rebels. That's not what God called them. Not this time, anyways. He said, I'll give them water. You do what I say. Moses is like, no, they, they need a good talking to. They need to know how rebellious they are, Lord. If, it aren't, if, I, you know, if you don't have my help, then your people will never know how they've offended you. You know, a lot of people are confused with the sin of, of David counting the army. Um, they get to that point, and they're like, what's wrong with that? 
It's because he wasn't trusting the Lord that he had enough troops to win the battle. He was trying to count. He was trying to do a numbers game. Will I win this? Do we have enough people? The Lord can use a man and his armor bearer to bring down a whole army. David, he used David to bring down a whole army as a boy with a slingshot and a rock. He brought down a whole army. And yet, he didn't have the faith for that day. He was too caught up with tomorrow, the outcome of this battle. And if, if that's not enough convincing, look at every single king in the Old Testament, righteous or unrighteous, probably like just the unrighteous didn't trust God for anything ever. <laughs> so that's pretty clear. But even the righteous ones, each and every single one of them had a day where they didn't trust God for something. And they bore such great consequences because of it. Moses, when he hit the rock, he wasn't allowed into the promised land. Why are we so caught up with the future and not the present need we have? This is something I... I deal with all the time. How often do I wake up and the first thing on my mind isn't like, Lord, help me today. I'm tired. I, I can't, I've forgotten your gospel. I need your Holy Spirit. But we don't seek God daily. We come to a special meeting. We hope that he pours his spirit out on us once. Or we hope that one time we pray a big enough prayer that it secures the rest of our life. Because we don't trust God for the rest of our life. And we get caught up in, these, in the mysterious future that it's not our job to worry about, frankly. We should be concerned with now because that's where God's hitting, like that's where he's coming to us in the present. He's giving you present graces. He's meeting your present needs. And uh, So I'd encourage all of us to begin praying every morning. And if we do, God will instruct us for that day. And if we do, a haughty heart will not rise up in us. But if we don't, we're taking tomorrow into our own hands. And uh, you can all tell me how that goes for you. And if we don't, we become so prideful. And that's a life of fear and lust if we're living in the future. But in the present, God gives us peace and he gives us satisfaction Lord, change our hearts. Today I pray for your new mercies. Today I pray that you would meet us in worship and pour your spirit out on us. Today I pray that we would seek you. And you handle our hearts tomorrow, Lord. Thank you for your graces and mercies. Pray that we get to dine with you today and hear your voice.
Amen.